So, Mr. Andre, I think today we're going to be talking baby steps because I still regularly get completely overwhelmed by this nebulous but gigantic task we have set for ourselves of disentangling from toxic cyber systems. And I regularly just kind of like lose all steam. So I think we're going to try to, well, I'm going to try to prep myself up here. No, pep, no, not, no, prop myself up here. <laughs> by talking about three things between the two of us we've done lately to take baby steps toward securing our disentanglement. Yeah, well, I also was completely overwhelmed. I suppose it was uh, more or less a year ago when I started deleting all of my uh, rogue or abandoned accounts and just discovering how both how many of them there were and how many of them it was difficult to get rid of. And all of this data exhaust that I had spewed out in my past um, was lingering there in the environment as a, a, a perduring toxic um, data chemicals. Data exhaust is the new... Toxic toxin. No, what do you call the things that go up into the ozone layer and eat it up? They used to talk about it a lot when we were kids. And chlorofluorocarbons? Yeah, that's CFCs? it. CFCs? Yes, yes. Data exhaust is the new CFC. Now, granted, a lot of that has probably sort of dis dissipated, so to speak, been... The CFCs um, or the data exhaust? The, the, da the data exhaust by time and whatever the uh, the informatic equivalent of enzymatic breakdown and the slow <laughs> decay. I had this one. one informatic enzymatic? <laughs> en enzymatic breakdown. I had this one piece of software that I had bought back in 2004 or something called XML Spy. Mm. Um, I can't remember for the life of me what it was. I'm sure it was to clean up, um, I think it was to clean up Word files for some project I was doing because I was getting a lot of garbage accumulating, which I understand completely because Word files are kind of a mess that way. Mm. Um, and I remember writing the company, and I still had the account, and I was able to sign into the account. This is from back from 2004. And so <laughs> I wrote them and said, can you please delete this account? And um, I'm okay if I lose access to this software. I haven't even... Didn't even know I had it for 15 years. How is it worth it to these companies to maintain these debt accounts? I have no idea. Um, obviously, okay. well, as we know, um, uh, we live in a house, and our house has an attic, and it's not a big house. Um, but over time, it's quite surprising after just a couple of years how much stuff <laughs> accumulates in it. And imagine if you're in the digital world, how little space that stuff takes and you're, how much you're able to forget. And it's just simply easier to ignore it and just keep backing it up. And it, the cost of storage isn't that much. So if it's not really being active, well, I mean, it costs you a few pennies on a hard drive somewhere. So, And I suppose if they need to like um, make themselves look profitable or successful, the more dead accounts they have, I mean, who knows that they're dead accounts? They can just prove they have this many accounts. Yeah, I suppose there's not great incentive to get rid of sleeper sleeping accounts although right. they usually do have statistics and i'm sure investors are very concerned that the users are active users and not simply those who That's like me That's you hire the Bangladeshi click farm to make sure all those dead accounts are clicked on at least once a day so they look active when they're not right right i learned about that from the tv show silicon valley i have no idea if that's true but it sounds plausible right. okay so i'm going to start with one of my baby steps baby last steps. time our last episode we talked about chopping down the amazon right so inspired by that and deeply irritated by what i had learned about amazon which i know a lot of people have felt for a long time i decided to get rid of all of my wish lists. Wish lists, right. Which are a great way for them to surveil what you actually want. Although right. I think I have wish lists and um, uh, they don't really represent, I think they re represent my desires as of three years ago. Yeah, well, 
mine have changed over time. And actually, one way I've strategically used wish lists as um, spending control is that if it's just there, I won't forget about it. I don't have to remember it by buying it just then. And then if I just like let it sit after a while, nearly everything I'm like, nah, I don't need this. So, yeah. and this is almost entirely, maybe entirely books for me, right. which is my my kryptonite. So anyway, um, I had two lists that were basically collections for future writing projects. And that's why it seemed handy to have them there because, you know, when I finally get around to that writing project, then boom, I have everything in place right there to start looking for. But I was like, you know what? I don't need to do this. So I just created a, a sheet. Um, I will admit that this is a Google sheet, but it's on my paid account. So presumably they are not surveilling it. And, um, and I just typed in author and title for all of these books. And so now I have them saved there and whenever I need them, you know, and they'll be backed up in various ways, I can go there. They don't need to be in a publicly surveillable or Amazonly surveillable place. They were not publicly, they weren't public lists anyway. And then I had my just regular list, the, the public one, you know, and um, so I just made some decisions like, yes, I want this book. I'm going to buy it now, but not from Amazon. Get to that in a second. Or I want to remember this author for the future, but not act right now. So it turns out, Andre, I had a paper notebook Whoa. that I use fairly often. Whoa. I know. I know. It started out as a bullet journal. I don't use it in the way bullet journaling is meant to be used, but it works fine for me. I really like it. It's fun filling up the pages. It's fun looking back and seeing what I've put in there. And I was like, you know what? I can just write down books and authors to check out at some undisclosed point in the future, and it will be there. Yes. And there is, this is actually where the advantages of friction come in. And um, I've discovered this, and I always keep my reading list in also a paper notebook in which I write out the author and the title um, in a list of books to read. So I also have a bullet journal, um, and my book list is written there. And this is because I I'm afflicted by shiny new object syndrome. You and, so are to a degree that so, I definitely am not. <laughs> and so I tend to jump quickly to the new thing if I oh if I hear about it if I hear somebody talk about it on a podcast or if I read about one book and another book I'll just immediately you know drop it and um, and uh, go look to see if our library has it or I don't know try to get it right away. Mm -hmm. um, so I've then also accumulated a number of book lists. So I didn't use Amazon so much as um, uh, I used Goodreads for a while. But finally, um, uh, several years ago, just decided that I would write them down in a, a list in a notebook. And this is great, too, because every few months I have to make a new notebook. Because uh, you zip through your bullet journals. Well, I mean, I do. I use the, actually the bullet journal technique where I right, log right. every day and I plan my day and I time block it, and it's it's pretty it's a pretty robust process. So every few months, I have to then transfer the old list to the new notebook, and that is itself a wonderful culling process. Mm. Um, so I really only transfer over the things that I actually want to read, um, and in the process too, I write them down, and then I try also with this list to. Um, choose the next book that I'm going to read from the list of things I've decided ahead of time and not simply at the time that I finish a book go, hmm, what should I go read and then go looking for it. Right. So trying to trust my path, the judgment of my past self. But here's where the friction that that produces as not having it in your Amazon list list and going bang right. um, is an advantage. Right. So friction as both frugality and minimalism right. from mental clutter. Yeah, I think that's that's really a useful thing. 
So anyway, yeah. So I I got rid of those. I um and the the long lists. I just got rid of them. And um, as we'll get to in a second with your baby stuff, I also individually deleted each book from the list before I deleted the entire list. Right. I don't know if that makes any difference, but I felt good about it. Yeah. And so basically now, what I have decided is my list now is it, it does still exist, the just basic one, but I've decided only to keep on it. Um, for members of the family who like to buy me birthday and Christmas gifts, I will just leave their books that they can get for me at some point. And that's inside. a public list. It's a public list. And I really don't care if Amazon knows about those books because they're not related to my writing projects. They're not things close to my heart or health related or, you know, you know, the Unabomber's Guide to Getting Off the Grid. You know, I'm not interested in that either. But, you know, like those kind of things that I would not want to be surveilled. This is something I don't care if anybody... Right. It's not nothing private. So, yeah. And then with the books I decided that I did want to get, I just went to some other used book sites. I know that bookfinder.com is actually owned by Amazon, so or maybe it's Google. I don't know. It's, it's owned by a giant. So even yeah. though it looks still like it was programmed in 2003, which, which it probably was. Which is part of was, its appeal. Part of its appeal. I'm sure that that is a carefully maintained aesthetic. And I've used abebooks.com and Book Depository, you know, um, but I don't know. It, it might be a bit quixotic, but there's just something strangely satisfying about not buying the books through Amazon. I'm not going to say that I will never buy a book through Amazon again. You know, there's a reason why they got to the top because they did do a lot, do a lot of really useful things. But anyway, so I've just taken some baby steps to be less less transparent to and less dependent on Amazon. Yeah, and in the future, um, I will encourage you, and I'm sure you are interested in ways of distributing more of your uh, your own literature and and through platforms or through your own website that doesn't that does not use Amazon as the uh, the middleman. Yeah, it's actually the the indie authors who use Kindle Unlimited, which means that they cannot distribute their ebooks anywhere but Kindle Unlimited. They are like in serious trouble right now because basically um, pirate versions of their books scraped from Amazon appear on other ebook sites. Amazon's bots interpret that as violating the terms of their agreement and they take their books down. So they're punishing the authors for having been pirated from Amazon's own site. So yes, I am. I certainly uh, Amazon is a major part of my book selling income stream because that's where everyone buys their books. But it is certainly not the only one. I have direct selling and other venues as well. So, all right. I think it's your turn to share one of yeah. your baby steps. Well, my baby steps. I uh, since we started this disentangling journey um, uh, a year and a half ago or so, I have um, put off uh, getting rid of my social media accounts. Actually, fairly early on, I deleted Instagram, which I had not used in uh, I don't know for about four years or so. And even then, I really really only used it for uh, promoting a project that I was working on. So I, I deleted that. Um, uh, but uh, recently, I decided I would like to get rid of my various Facebook and Twitter <laughs> accounts. And I discovered, as I mentioned uh, a couple of podcasts ago, uh, a, a Gmail account attached to a former job that I had. I emptied that, um, uh, downloaded the data, and then deleted it. Uh, I did that for two different um, Gmail accounts that I had. And so those accounts are now dormant, more or less forwarding email to my active email account. Um, but I discovered in that process an old Twitter account that was attached to one of these um, uh, projects. So I, I download the, downloaded the data, and that's a good piece of advice. Always download 
um, your data before you um, delete it. It's nice to have it as an archive for yourself. Um, some important and interesting things are there. It downloads your your contacts, your friends list, your friend lists, um, all of your posts, all of your messages, um, both from Twitter uh, and from Facebook. So uh, from that organization's Twitter, I downloaded the data. I downloaded the data from my personal Twitter account. Um, I downloaded the data from my Facebook account, which included all the pictures and comments and uh, likes and follows and all kinds of different things. Um, so yeah, and then I proceeded just bit by bit, uh, first with Facebook and then with, then with Twitter to simply delete the posts. One by one. One by one. By hand. By hand. Right. Right, which was, um, it's a very, it was a very cumbersome process. You can actually, uh, there are some services which you can sign up to and they will do this for you in a way that uses an API, an application, something protocol interface that um, will delete them for you. And they ha you have to do it in a very slow way or else you'll be uh, suspected of being a machine or a bot, <laughs> which in fact this service you can sign up to does this. And maybe for those who have thousands or even tens of thousands <laughs> of tweets or posts, this may be something you might want to consider. I did not have nearly that many. I suppose I had a couple of thousand. Mm -hmm. um, uh, posts and pictures. That's uh, still a lot of clicking. It's still a lot. It's still, yeah, so I, 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 I did not give myself carpal tunnel, um, but I did spread it out over several days and just said, okay, I'll give myself you know half an hour here and just go through. And it was actually an interesting uh, process in analyzing my past. It was kind of like looking through your... <laughs> Kind of like, like looking through your old diaries. Tell us what you learned about yourself <laughs> in this process. Uh, well, yeah, I learned. Um, clearly, uh, I posted uh, to um, Facebook and Twitter. I, I was using at the time, most of this time, I was using a, a plugin called Owly, uh, um, which forwarded your posts to both Facebook and to Twitter at the same time. So most of my posts were actually identical on both. Mm -hmm. Uh, platforms and almost all of them were uh, because I had linked up my podcast app mm -hmm. and another app called Instapaper, uh, which to which I would save articles and then I would read those articles or listen to this podcast and then as soon as I'm done it would send it it would like automatically send it like with a comment I would mm -hmm. make a brief comment so I would say that I don't know well over fifty percent maybe seventy percent of my posts um, were simply direct. Uh, almost automatic posts from the podcasts and that I had listened to and the articles that I had read. So you were basically telling the entire planet if they wanted to know exactly what you're listening to, reading, and what you thought about it. Exactly. And do you know how many people cared? All of them? <laughs> uh, almost none. Of course not. Of course not. No. I mean, I get, I, I'm not a... I got almost nobody commenting on anything ever. Right, right. Well, it it isn't only because you are not an influencer, no, have you ever tried to be one, but also, as I discovered several years ago already when I was still on Facebook, it did not like sharing links that took you off Facebook. So right. it could be that already then. Right. And I suppose I didn't really start doing this until until after they introduced the like button, which I believe was in 2012. So most of these happened right. after that. There were a few before then, and those were mostly family, sort of like family bulletin board kind of things. You That's know? how it started. That's why. Yeah. People well, and there were more articles, also articles that I had, I had read, but they were uh, revealing. You know, I mean, with thousands and thousands of articles and podcasts that I had shared with the world that I had read, and a lot of them were uh, of the thinking set. You know, mm -hmm. things that important 
important people mm. uh, in capital letters read and should comment upon and uh, obviously posturing from my point but revealing a fair amount of my mental state some and it was also very irregular so some days i would have dozens of these things and it seemed like in other days it would just go months where i wouldn't have anything so uh clearly i was not a very consistent in this at, at, at any rate mm. um so yeah, I learned. Can you reconstruct why you thought this was important to do? Was it just because everyone was doing it at the time? Did you? Yeah, I suppose. Well, and I suppose I didn't have anybody to talk to about it, so I was going to talk to the world. I mean, I had you to talk to about it, but I'm not anybody. <laughs> <But>. <laughs> we were living in yet another foreign country, not our home country. Uh, maybe, at the time. maybe too, because maybe I think my brother paid attention. Okay. My my I've, I I. Uh, no, like, no, 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 no. No more identifying points. Yeah, my brother. So um. But that's about it, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah. So, and we were living in a, a yet, yeah, yeah, yet a different foreign country, and you know, so it was a way of interacting, I suppose. Right. Yeah. I also, at the time, was um, I was probably posturing to be some kind of important person, a writer. Or I, I didn't. Even, I wasn't very strategic about it, but yeah. um, felt I needed to comment on this and that. Also, I'm I'm a, a little bit embarrassed after ten year ten years of this. Mm-hmm. How. And I should have known this. How much of that material is meaningless and even a little bit embarrassing just after a few years? How, how do you mean, like failed predictions? Well, just like or failed ephemera. predictions, or it's everybody is uh, all up in arms about how everything is everything is going to hell in a handbasket, or this new thing is going to change the world, or mm. so the predictions are bad, both good and good and ill. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a few things, though, that I remember have really stuck with me. And actually, interestingly enough, um, I remember very strongly the things that uh, the most memorable articles. I didn't need the social media to help me remember, to remember mm. them. Right? Mm. I, I remember them quite distinctly. Most of them were forgettable, mm. and the ones that were the ones that were most hysterical were the most forgettable. Interesting. Well, I think that is a really good object lesson for our time, which is social media and all this tech algorithmic promotion is all about ephemeral hysteria Yeah. and prevents you, does not want you to have a long view or historic view or just a calm or a wait and see. Yeah. Yes. So, yeah. So I did all that. So a few, I don't know, a couple of thousand. And I, I did that also with pictures since I'd been promoting um uh, some work I did with pictures. Also, we, we took a, a long trip, and I posted I don't know I don't know a thousand pictures or so from that trip. So I d- deleted those individually, one by one, from right. this from my timeline. But that um, one was meant to be like a public project. That right? was well. That was well, that was that was, those ones on Facebook were for our family. You know, that was oh, okay. that was more to share our trip with our family as we were going along. So um, yeah, I got rid of those, um, and of course deletes the the posts as, as they the comments as they go along with them right um so have you deleted all of them now from facebook as far, well, as, far as i know yes yeah and okay. i deleted all the likes that i, I unliked everything <laughs> wow <laughs> um so have you deleted the accounts yet never i haven't deleted the accounts what i, I thought i would do is just let them sit for a while mm-hmm. um I'm, I'm not sure if i will i may just sort of let it sit there and um not have anything there i'm not I don't like know. as a flag planting strategy or as just i don't know i'm okay or maybe i give i could even start putting false information there about myself i, th- I think we'll get to that in another episode but that might yeah. be something useful to to, to mm-hmm. seed um erroneous information just to to, to to keep the keep the people search sites on their toes <laughs> okay 
Yeah, so right. yeah, thousands. Of, yeah. By the way, it was much easier to delete things on Twitter than it was on Facebook. Facebook had a very slow interface, hmm. and it had to like reload the whole page every time. So it it was not hmm. a very quick process compared well, to. And I'm sure they don't want you to do this. Uh, no, no, they probably right. don't. No, no it, it, you can't just delete the whole thing. I probably didn't need to do that, but um, I just decided I wanted to do that, and it was just a, it was also a, a useful self reflectionary kind of process purgative purgative yeah so right. anyway I'm, i feel better about getting rid of it now that i've gone through everything and deleted everything yeah and long as it was it was finite yeah so it was finite it's yeah You're right okay. yeah a few hours of my time i suppose but it was not okay. not not wasted so do you have any other still open or active social media accounts uh well um are you on linkedin I do yes, I do have LinkedIn. I also went back and deleted some posts there. But that I'm I'm not quite sure about either. That I have a very old account there, and I've read that that's useful also for seeding false information. Um, All right. So. All right. In a future episode. In a future, we'll talk okay. about that. All right. Well, I don't. Know. I'm not sure what I what I will do. Whether I'll close these accounts or just leave them parked and empty. Okay. All right. And then finally, one other baby step. This is also coming from me, which is, and this is as much um, about privacy as about compartmentalizing one's work and life. So I was beginning to realize that on both of my regularly in use email accounts, I had signed up for various newsletters. And I myself write a newsletter for a different aspect of my life and endeavor. And it is the gold standard for cultivating uh, a direct relationship with your fans and potential um, buyers of your work. So like anyone who wants to have an independent, uh, even not, <laughs> if you want to have a platform, you should have a website with an email, sign up place and send newsletters. So I've signed up for a few myself, more than a few, and um, that's fine. But what I basically realized is that as I check my email and have to answer things from like people, you know, well, email serves a lot of different functions. I realized that I had these newsletters and I was mostly um, either annoyed to see them or just didn't feel like I could take the time to read them because I had other stuff to get done with. And I personally am a devotee of Inbox Zero. So in the end, just deleting them was the easiest way once I answered my other emails to get Inbox Zero. But as a result, I was not actually like benefiting from these. And, you know, maybe some of them were fine just to let go. But anyway, since we had talked before about um, privacy um, in email, not just security, um, I came up with the idea of basically creating something like you've mentioned Instapaper. I don't even know if that's around anymore. But basically creating a, a separate account with no connection to my actual identity where all my newsletters could be sent. So we've mentioned the company Tutanota um, a number of times. By the way, that's T-U-T-A-N-O-T-A. There are no Ds in it. Our lazy American accents um, often hear Ds and say Ds where there should be Ts. Anyway, so I decided, well, you get one free account there for nothing, as long as you promise not to use it for business purposes, and that I would just make that be the place where all my newsletters went. And then maybe once a week, I'll log in and I'll just treat it like a digest, you know, all the all the stuff at once when I actually am ready to read it and have some time set aside to do it. And it's separate from my email life. And that means I get less email too. So that all seemed very awesome. Uh, so anyway, I set up the Tutanota account and um, something went wrong <laughs> either with Tutanota or with my password manager because, um, and possibly it didn't like the VPN I was using. So the first 
email address I came up with. Because Okay, so because it's private, you don't verify it with any other identity or email address. So you just sign up for it. And they told me I had to wait 48 hours. It's an anti-bot measure. Fair enough. But after 48 hours, I still couldn't get in. The email address now existed, but my password was wrong. And there's nothing they can do for you at Tutanota because it's end-to-end encrypted. They do not know your password. They do not store your password. There's no password reset. So I just lost it. And then what did you tell me, mister? What did I tell you? <laughs> you told me that Tutanota has this problem all the time. Yeah, yeah. I I've, have looked at the... I'm kind of lurker on the Tutanota Reddit page, and there are a lot of people who report this problem. And I suspect that it's actually not a problem necessarily with Tutanota, um, but with the way that the particular sign-up process interacts with um, password managers and the automatic password creation function of those password managers. Which so, is what I used. Yeah, so my, especially when, for example, it often is the case when you use Tutanota and you have a VPN, um, that it doesn't like it, it rejects it, which, fair enough, they, they don't want to have a bunch of bots creating accounts. Um, so you have to find a server that works. And so, there, uh, Zara did this. <laughs> uh, and um, uh, and uh, probably in the process generated a new password, and somehow the new password wasn't saved, but the old one was. Yeah. Um, so it, just a small bit of advice. When you are using a password manager, I have found it to be more reliable in the sign-up process to not let the um, not let the plugin generate the passwords within the website field, but right. actually kind of open the plugin and actually do it within the password manager itself. And then copy paste. And then copy paste. I found right. that to be somewhat more reliable in this regard. This has happened to me before. Yeah, well. I realized that it happened to me before too, but I was always able to recover the account anyway. So it hadn't. It right, but you cannot do that with Tutanota. Right. Um, so anyway, so yes, so. That email address is forever lost because do not it does not um, reuse addresses, so which is sensible anyway. So I came up with another one. I was kind of sorry to miss the first one because it was fun. I'm not going to tell you what it was. The second one's okay. Um, but then when I was talking to you about this, you suggested there is an, yet another layer of privacy I could add using Simple Login. So right. tell yeah. our listeners about Simple Login. Uh, yeah, well, I subscribed to Simple Login, I suppose, not, not quite a year ago because I thought it was just an awesome service. Um, they have since been bought by Proton. Uh, and okay. I believe if you get a fancy Proton plan, it includes a subscription to... to um, to simple login. There's another one that is quite similar and e- equally recommendable called Anon Addy mm-hmm. as an anonymous address. That's mm-hmm. a, um, what it allows you to do is to create and or spin up um, anonymous uh, email addresses. Um, so you can have a unique login uh, email address for every account that you use. We've talked about this before when, when we were creating a, an account at Disney. We didn't want Disney to know that we were to track us across various things, so we just used an anonymous um, account with Simple Login. And so we did this. So the way it is, I got the I got hooked up to your account, and I put the right. extension on my browser. And so basically, so I would go to a newsletter I wanted right. to sign up to. I'd click on the extension in the browser right. of Simple right. Login, and basically it generates part of an email address uh, and then you can modify the first part so what you suggested to me to do was to make that first part the name of the newsletter i'm setting signing up for so like um suppose my newsletter was 
fork, spoon, and knife, right? right? Um, it would be fork, spoon, and knife. And then Simple Login provides like a few random letters and punctuation marks at simplelogin.com. Right. It creates that. You tell it which inbox you want to direct it towards. You it, it, you give it the name of the actual um, email, your real yeah, so, email so, address. So, so we share the same Simple Login account right. um, because um, I trust Zara and she trusts me. Um, obviously, uh, you don't want to share this with people you don't trust if you're using it for sensitive information. But um, so it has the option to set a number of different destination mailboxes. And right. so there's a default one, which because it's my account, it defaults to sending it to mine. But you can also, when you're in that selection process, select a different mailbox. And you can have, I don't know how many, quite a number of them. Right. Yeah. So that means, um, yeah, so I probably, I mean, again, it may be 12 or 15 newsletters. I unsubscribed from my own accounts, a link to my real identity, and resubscribed using a different simple login new address for each of them tied to the name of the newsletter itself. And so another great thing about this is that if they violate their terms of service and sell my that email address they got from me to some other service and I get mail to that address, then I will know exactly because it will say fork, spoon and knife is the, you know, is now getting, you know, promotional emails from uh, electric toaster newsletter, you know, and then I'll know exactly where the privacy breach was. Yeah. Yes, and you would know that if, if you keep track of the, your newsletters, you would know that anyway. And if you use it for a login, um, you should be saving that in your password manager. And whatever the name is, you would know what it is and you would know where it would come from. So this allows you simply to avoid being tracked across various newsletters. It also avoids, in the case of a data breach, uh, of one of these one of these places, which is not unforeseeable, um, that um, any information about you would not be, be able to be correlated across different um uh, different set data sets. Yeah, and I think also in the name of like intellectual curiosity and being able to keep abreast of things that you may not personally endorse or like, you can use this in order to get the information without it being, again, attached to your real identity. So suppose I am radically opposed to microwave ovens, but I want to subscribe to microwave oven newsletter in order to keep my eye on it. It doesn't know that I'm the same person as right. fork, spoon, and knife. Right. And th this is a problem with the entire internet, um, <laughs> <laughs> because because we have static identities. In the case of your uh, your computer or your internet connection, there's an IP address attached to that. So anything mm -hmm. going to that IP address can be identified directly with you, mm -hmm. uh, and that is um, means that the whole web or the whole uh, a social graph or interest graph that you create uh, is traceable to you, which is one of the reasons why for privacy and, and anonymity purposes, a VPN is useful. Um, is this why it's called a web? Because everything is connected to everything else? I know, that's No, it's because it's meant to trap you. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Um, yeah, so th this is this is a this is a problem, and it, it is a shame that it's come to this. But the fact is, um, the powers surveilling and observing the network are so ubiquitous um, that you need to be proactive at this point to um, prevent it. Uh, at this point, that that kind of anonymity uh, um, and privacy are not built into the structure of the way the internet internet works. No, quite the contrary, as we've slowly discovered right. in the past several years. One other question: If we ever give up the simple login account, right. does that mean we also lose access to all those email addresses? Uh, those particular ones, yes. However, uh, and this is something I have not implemented yet. Simple login also allows you to attach a 
domain uh, to to it. Mm-hmm. So, for example, we could purchase a domain, a separate, mm-hmm. either a separate domain name, or we could use what's called a subdomain mm-hmm. that would be uh, news dot whatever our domain is mm-hmm. dot com, mm-hmm. and that we could attach to simple login. In which case, wherever we move, wherever we point that domain, we could use it. F- we could use a different service. Okay. So we could use a, a what's called a um, a catch-all. Uh, and we would get those all in our um, email address. So we're not enslaved to Simple Login the rest of our lives if we want to keep getting newsletters. On no, um, that would be the most the simplest solution. Right now, I'm happy with in the case of newsletters, they're very low um, uh, low stakes. Um, if we lose them, it's not a really big deal. Right. Um, it's very easy to sign up for again, right. uh, and um, but if we were to si- start signing up for other things. Um, we uh, with different email ad- different email addresses it might be useful to to have our to own, own domain names, name right. attached. Okay. That would make transfer transferring it a lot easier. Okay, well I feel good about these three baby steps. Baby steps, right? Little by little. Okay, we'll get there in the end. <laughs> <laughs>